As the children are leaving, we are in the gospel according to Luke. We're studying this book together verse by verse, and we find ourselves once again in the gospel according to Luke in chapter 5 this morning. Our, uh, our series through this God-breathed investigative eyewitness account compiled by Dr. Luke is called, as you see here, Mission to the World. Because in the book of Luke, we see the beauty and the glory of Jesus loving and rescuing and healing and redeeming all kinds of people. We, we've already seen some of that so far. Therefore, I can say with the authority of God's word that God loves you this morning. If you're here and, and, and you're awake, hopefully you are, God loves you. And his love has been manifested. God's love has been demonstrated in and through the person of Christ, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son came to us in the incarnation, lived a life in, in perfect obedience to the Father, and as the ultimate Messiah, Messiah, the King of kings, he died as a substitute for our sins. And his glorious resurrection from the grave validates all that he said, and it is our guarantee, it is our guarantee that his perfect sacrifice was accepted as payments for our sins. Justice has been served, the tomb is empty. We see the beauty of Christ all over this. Our text this morning comes shortly after Jesus, as you remember, was in his hometown in Nazareth, chapter 4. He's in his hometown in Nazareth. He is worshiping in the local synagogue. And he's handed a scroll. This was the custom of that day. He handed him a scroll. The scroll was Isaiah. He opened the scroll here at the beginning of his ministry. He's opening the scroll of Isaiah. Comes to chapter 61. And he reads, and we find that in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. It says that the king, that the Messiah has come, was sent by the power of the Spirit to proclaim the good news to the poor. He's, he's proclaiming news to the poor. He's, he's proclaiming liberty to the captives. He's recovery of sight to the blind. He is setting at liberty those who are oppressed. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's grace is among them. That announcement we know in Nazareth, his hometown, was met with unbelief. And all those in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they attempted to throw Jesus off the cliff. Last week, that was two weeks ago, last week we, we said that Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. Another city in Galilee. And, he, and again, he, he's teaching in the gathered people of God as they came to worship on the Sabbath. Jesus regularly gathered with God's people weekly for worship as we should. This time, though, he's going to demonstrate his authority. He's going to do exactly what he said he came to do as he read Isaiah's scroll back in Nazareth. And in verses 31 through 44, we saw last week that Jesus demonstrated his authority as he taught the word of God. He taught with authority, not like the rabbis of that day. He demonstrated his authority over evil spirits. There was an unclean demon in church. We talked about that last week. And he rebuked him by his word. And he set the man free who was demon-possessed. And then finally, again by his word, Jesus rebukes a high fever that had stricken the apostle Peter's mother-in-law, Peter's wife's mom. And our text last week ended with Jesus healing, laying hands on people, showing compassion, and touching them and healing them. Everyone who came to him with illnesses, and even those who were demon-possessed. Chapter 4, verse 40. And 41. Amazing. Just amazing. And therefore, it's no surprise that while he was in Capernaum doing all this, they wanted him to stay. Why wouldn't they? Can you imagine an urgent care facility in our community like that? I'm not feeling well. Let me go see Jesus. Oh, I feel much better now. But Jesus said, no, I, I can't stay here either. Not because I don't love y'all, and not because you're trying to throw me off the cliff like my hometown did. But verse 43 of chapter 4, he says the reason. I must preach the good news. I can't stay here in Capernaum. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. I can't stay here, do everything I'm doing. I was sent, he says, for this purpose. It has now become obvious that what he's talking about, the kingdom of God, is that the king has come. He invaded human history in the person of King Jesus and he's been demonstrating this kingly authority, this, this power by exercising it through his teaching over demons, over illnesses. In our text this morning, we'll see he has exercised authority and, and power over creation. 
in chapters 5, verses 1 through 11. The, 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 the text really is all about discipleship, but he uses his, his, his authority as the king of kings, as the king has come with the kingdom, to exercise his authority over creation and then show you this morning, show me this morning, show Peter, James, Andrew, and John what it means to be a disciple. That's where we're at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up. Very uh, uh, simple passage to some degree, but very. I'm, I'm praying that God stirs our heart today. We'll see the continuation of Jesus is continuing his teaching tour, his preaching, which we came to do. Then we'll see his compliance, or Peter's compliance, to the command of Jesus. The confession of Peter, in the middle of this miracle, Peter makes this confession that is just amazing. And then finally, last verse and a half, uh, we'll see the commission of not just the disciples, but us as well. So with that backdrop, we'll look at going fishing. Jesus teaching his word. Luke opens up in chapter 5 simply with, on one occasion... There's this one time that Jesus was by the lake of Gennesaret, another name for the Sea of Galilee, okay? They called it by different names. There was a town by that name, so they named it after that town and Galilee, which was the region of Galilee, obviously. It was a very, very large lake, uh, 650 feet below sea level, I'm told. I haven't been there. 150 feet deep at some places, and the lake was surrounded by these hills, 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, and Jesus is standing there at this lake and the crowds are following him and the crowds are coming and they're, and they're growing and growing. But what I want to notice first about, these crowd, about this crowd was they weren't coming to Jesus for the healing power that he was expressing earlier in the city of Capernaum. Okay? That's not why they're coming. And I want to overlook this. So I, want to, I, want to, I want to marvel at this for a minute. They were coming for what? To hear the word of God. They were coming, they were pushing in, they were eager to hear the word of God. Literally, the word from God. The revelation of God coming to them through the word of God, proclaimed by the Son of God. And here is Jesus in, in his own captivating and authoritative manner, bringing the message, bringing the word of God to the audience. The message we already know, he already said, I am going to preach what? The kingdom of God, the gospel, the king has come. Remember last week we said, when we think of kingdom of God, think first king. Think first king, the, the king himself, the one who will reign and rule over his kingdom. And secondly is the realm of which God will reign. The redeemed, the community, those who experience the salvation of the king. And God sent his son to preach the kingdom of God, the gospel. Jesus, the king, has come. And people coming to hear that very thing. As Jesus continued his teaching ministry. And so Jesus, with great wisdom, says to Simon, who's Peter, stop, stop washing your nets. Stop mending those nets. In other words, he was out all day, it was, it was daytime, you wash your nets when you're done fishing. And allow me to use the boat and sit and teach the crowd. That's the setting. Knowing that the crowd would, 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 be, uh, it would be better for the crowd for the acoustics, with Jesus being pushed out on the boat onto the lake, he has the, he has the water around him that, that adds to the acoustics, he has the, the hills that are around the lake as well. And the word of God now have, could be amplified. And what you could say is, you know, the boat was his pulpit and the, and the, and the sea or the, or the lake was the sound system. But do you see what Luke is trying to tell us here in the beginning of this text? The whole narrative is not, the whole narrative is not only about Jesus continuing to teach the word of God with, with inherent authority, not delegated authority. It's about discipleship. The word discipleship means learner. And disciples, followers of Christ, are men and women who are listening, learning, and then living out the teaching of the life of Christ. We've said this here before. Gospel-centered discipleship always resounds around the person and the work of Jesus and the gospel. And what we see here is Jesus making disciples. 
Not just Peter, not just those with the boat, but there are people there listening to Jesus. It always begins with, the Sabbath always begins with listening to Jesus. I mean, in that day, could you imagine being there? Jesus is on the boat and you're listening to the word of God come from the word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. There had to be some there, though, I would think. That's not accurate, <laughs> right? Let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you, but doesn't say the text, but I'm sure they were there. They were always there. Always, always those who are critical. And Jesus is there teaching, though, the word of God. What a, what, a, what a great opportunity. And for them, it must have been just awesome to hear the king of kings teach the Bible. Now, for us, we have the word of God, right? We have, we have the scriptures, and we gather together, uh, in our, hopefully in our homes, that you're doing devotions, you're reading the New Testament, you're, you maybe have a devotional book, you're in the Word, right? We should be in the Word. As disciples follow of Christ, we are called to be in the Word, listening to Jesus. We gather on Sunday morning to hear the Word preach. We gather, as Chris mentioned, Pastor Chris mentioned earlier, in community groups. One of the main ways that we do discipleship here. So large settings, small settings, and even alone as you're reading the word together. That's God's design. You see it all over scripture. And, and I'm not comparing Jesus teaching on the boat than what we're doing. Okay, exactly. But it'd be fair to say that as we gather together here on Sunday morning and in our community groups, we are doing it for the purpose of hearing the word of God. That's why we're here. That's why we gather in community groups. And let me say this, that's why we gather together and do expository preaching going through books of the Bible because it is the best way to hear what God has to say to his people in 2023. The best way. And I'm going to make that bold statement. Because good and true expository preaching is trying to get at what God has already said to his original audience in the original context of what was being said. God was speaking to them that day at the sea, and we want to know what God was saying. We do expository meaning. Understanding the original meaning of the text. Great um, quote. David Helm is the, is the uh, president of Simeon Trust that teach that teaches expository preaching, he said this, expository preaching is powered preaching that rightfully submits the shape and emphasis of the sermon to the shape and emphasis of the biblical text. It brings out the text what the Holy Spirit put in there, end quote. Okay? It means keeping the main thing the main thing. Before we bring an application to the text, we need to understand the text. We need to exposit the text. We need to bring out the meaning of the text. And where people go astray is when they run right to the text and they try to bring application to the text or they pull it out of its context. we got problems. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. It's much better to give God the chance to speak through the exposition of his word than what I have to say, because I have nothing to say. If we're faithful to the text, we have We have confidence. We can have certainty the message is from God. Scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So if anyone wants to follow Jesus, it's all about discipleship. It begins with listening to the teaching of the word of God. Peter was listening. He was mending his nets. He was washing his nets. But he was listening because when, 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 when uh, uh, Jesus said, hey, I want to borrow your boat. Sure, you got it. You got it. Go in the boat. We'll push you out. And he allowed him to use the boat to teach the word of God. There's that continuation in discipleship. Number two, verses four through seven, Peter is compliant to Jesus' command. After teaching the word of God, Jesus in the boat out on the lake for several hours without anyone complaining. I made that up. He, he turns to Peter and tells him, listen, go back on the lake. Go beyond the shallow shore and drop your nets deep into the you know, out in the deep. What's interesting about this, if you never noticed this, I want to point it out. He doesn't tell Peter, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out and try to go fishing again. See what happens. Just, just try fishing. Go out fishing. He doesn't do that. Look at the text. He says, drop your nets in the deep for what? A catch. The command of Jesus comes with the assurance of Jesus. He's not wondering what's going to happen. He's telling Peter, look, do as I say, and what I said, I will do. 
Pretty simple. And, and Peter's response in verse 5 really, really reveals to us what he was thinking. Peter looks at Jesus, and we don't know this for sure, but you could tell by his response. Why don't you stick to theology? <laughs> Go back and teach the word of God. Let me do fishing. I mean, what does a carpenter have anything to do with fishing? Master, he says, which means teacher, actually the, the prefix epi meaning over, a chief. We, Andrew, his brother, I'm sure, James and John, we toiled all night and took nothing. Jesus, everyone knows that fishing happens at night. Fish come up a little higher. It, it, it's sunny out. It's, the fish are deep. We're not going to catch anything. Now, now, before we judge, let, let's, let's be honest and relate. When you and I think we're experts in something, and someone then wants to tell us about our expertise, you know, that look of derision, really? You know who you're talking to, right? Yeah, I, have the, I have the expertise you do not. We roll our eyes. We look at them, as I said, with derision, and we just want to dismiss what they have to say. Also, let's be honest, too. Peter was fishing all night, and, his, and, and his, his partners and his brother. They're tiresome, right? They're tired. They caught nothing. Got to be discouraging. At worst, there's no money to be made. They, they use this as their livelihood. They're, they're extremely disappointed. And now, in the middle of this tiresome work of washing their nets... Right before night comes, they've got to clean it so it sits out in the sun so we can dry. The last thing they want to do is go back out on the boat, take these nests they just cleaned, and get back in and start fishing again. But Peter does it. A little reluctant, I think. All right. At your what? Word. Back to the word. I will let down the nets. Now remember, they caught nothing all night. And, and, and here's my take on it, family. They caught nothing all night was also a miracle. That's what I think. It was a setup. <laughs> Spent 10 hours fishing and catch nothing. So you could be at the lowest place, most discouraged place you could be, and I'm going to show you something. That's what I think. The scriptures are clear. God is sovereign over all things. Every molecule, every fish. Right? It was God who commanded the fish to stay out of the nets so that Peter and all the disciples who were standing there listening to the word of God would not only experience the miracle, but more importantly, understand what it means to be a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying to Peter, following me starts not only with listening to my word, but also recognition that there's no part of your life, I don't care how great you think you do something, I don't care how wonderfully gifted you are, I don't care how long you've been doing it, following me means you give me your whole life. Peter is learning. Peter is listening. Even in the midst of reluctance, he's learning obedience is the proper response to the call of Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, You'll obey my commands. And his obedience, his obedience, Peter's obedience brings what? Results. Look, Peter and his fishing buddies let down their nets. This huge catch of fish. So many that the nets can't hold it. They're breaking. And they signal to their partners, which is probably James and John. Help, man. I need some help. There's still not enough. And both boats get filled with fish. And they begin to sink. Now, I think it's fair to say that wasn't a regular day for the life of these fishermen, right? That was a miracle. The miracle of the, of the sovereignty and the knowledge of God. Jesus, by his authority, says, go out there. You know, first he commands the evil spirits to depart. Then he commands the, the, the fever to leave. And now he summons the fish in the lake. He knows where they are, and they're all jumping in the net. And he's showing his power over creation. As they say, Jesus did far more abundantly than any fisherman could ever ask or imagine. But just like all the miracles in Scripture, they're not done for this circus-like event. Right? 
We talked about that early on. We started this book that they, they had the, 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 these people who wrote about Jesus being two, you know, 12 and 13 and 14, even younger, doing these magical tricks. And we know that's not of Scripture. Jesus does miracles. The apostles do miracles for a reason, for a purpose. And here he's showing and demonstrating and authenticating his kingliness and his authority. He's teaching Peter and every disciple what it means to walk and follow Jesus. And once again, Jesus excuse me, accomplishes miracle by his word. Tells Peter what to do. Lower your nets. And they're filling to the rim. Family, we can trust the word of God. We can take Jesus at his word. The catch of fish is exactly what he said was going to happen. Let it down for the catch. Listen, there are times of uncertainty. There are times of confusion. There are times in our life, let's be honest, where we are skeptical as we read the word of God and we see the will of God in his word. Family, we're, we're being taught here, disciples, even in the midst of all that, resting on his word. Trusting God, trusting what he has given to us in the scripture. This incredible, incredible miracle is initiated by Jesus, guided by Jesus. And in the end, it shows us how he will initiate and guide us to make disciples if we'll simply obey his word. The catch really is ultimately a picture of how Jesus will guide, will initiate and guide his disciples, his followers to live on mission with him. We call it the Missio Dei, the mission of God, seeking and saving the lost. It's a picture of, of our call to missions. Dr. Joel Green. Success in fishing under Jesus' authority is a prophetic symbol for the mission in which Simon and the others will participate. Which Jesus himself, in his word and miraculous deed, is engaged in catching, catching men. So we have this continuation, we have this compliance. And then in verses 8 through 10a, this confession. Verse 8, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, notice Peter calls him uh, uh, Lord here. Before it was master. Master, let us know. Uh, again, epi, overseer, chief. Let, let, me, let us know where to do this. We'll do it. Now, he says, when he sees this miracle, he says, Lord, kuros. Now, it could mean sir. It could mean, it could mean master as well. You see that different places in scripture. But we know what Luke meant. Luke used the word kuros, Lord, 30 times up to this point. In three, four chapters. Always about the Lord God Almighty. He's always used that term to talk about the creator and sovereign reigning Lord of the universe. And now we see Peter using that same divine title. They knew what time it was. Lord. Peter's confession not only implies that he's a sinful man, but you could tell by his, his response, he's like the prophet Isaiah. Peter becomes inescapably aware of his hopeless unfitness to be in the presence of a holy one, of the holy one. You see, one cannot enter into the presence of a holy God, hear the word of God in all his grace and all his truth without being convicted of our sin. And so he asks Jesus to depart from me, leave my presence. Peter's response, and really for that matter, all our responses to the holiness of God is a recognition of our unfitness, our sinfulness. Like Isaiah, you know the story, we went through the book of Isaiah recently, all 66 chapters. And Isaiah in chapter 6 is brought into the, to the throne room and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe is flowing, right? And we see the angels are, are flying, the, the, the seraphims, and they're crying out to one another, Holy, we sang that earlier, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, full of his incalculable worth, his value, his majesty. And Isaiah says, woe is me. I got a glimpse of that, woe is me. I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Not just me, 
It's all of us. He says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And it was the seraphim, if you know the story, in Isaiah 6, flies down in his hand, grabs a burning coal from the altar of, of, of sacrifice. And it says in Isaiah 6, place of sacrifice, he has the coal and touched his mouth, touched Isaiah's mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips from the altar of sacrifice. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Simon Peter, like all of us, all followers of Christ, recognize his holiness and our humility. When we see his holiness and awareness of our sin, it does not disqualify us or him from coming to God or serving God. It is a prerequisite for it. Jesus calls those who know they're in need of forgiveness and know they must humble themselves before his very presence, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, who humbled themselves when they got a glimpse of the glory and the beauty and the holiness of God. And Peter deems this giant catch of fish as a miracle, and he recognizes that he's in the presence of the Holy One. It falls on his face. A recognition that he is holy, that destruction should come next. And he falls reverently at Jesus' feet. Confessing the sins of his entire nature. You see, it wasn't really, at this point, it wasn't like, I've done this wrong, I've done that wrong, or I, I got this sin, I got that sin. That's not what he says. He said, we need to repent of our, our whole sinful selves. I am a man of sin. Riken writes in his commentary, we have, listen to this, we have to see ourselves as we really are in all our sin. The way we see ourselves as we really are is by seeing Jesus as he really is in all his power and majesty, end quote. Listen, all of us fall, all, all of us sin and fall short of God's glory. And family, a, a holy encounter with God's presence and power is no reason to turn away from him, but an opportunity to approach him on the right basis of repentance and faith. You know, unfortunately, uh, as we, we've been talking about the culture and where the culture is going over the past few months. We mentioned it at our meeting last week. One of the main reasons that people reject church or coming to worship is because a lot of folks want to stay away from Jesus, and it's unfortunate, and it's heartbreaking. They don't want to come into the gathered people of God because they want to avoid the presence and the worship of the Holy One. Sometimes people avoid churches because churches treat people a certain way. And particular sins, they may, they may act very ugly toward people. They, they may not only act ugly, they, they could be mean and they could be hateful toward particular expressions of sin. And that needs to be confessed and repented of. But many times people won't gather with the, the people of God because, because they want to avoid the Holy One. His name is Jesus. As the scriptures are being taught, as the, the worship of God's people is happening in and among us. That is the initial reason Peter asked Jesus to depart from him. We're too sinful and, and guilty to be in his presence. We're all enslaved to something. We need freedom from something, all of us. Whether it's greed, whether it's lust, whether it's unforgiveness, some people are enslaved to worry. I mean, almost wear it as a badge of honor. Some good things we like to worship, we turn good things into ultimate things. They become God things like marriage, like children, other things that are good. But we wind up treating it like idolatry. But isn't that exactly why Jesus came? Isn't that the reason why he came? To bring us to God, how? By, by dying on a cross for our sins? Our sinful, guilty hearts want to push Jesus away, but God, in his love, the Father and the Son's love, implores us to stop pushing him away. Run to Jesus, cling to Jesus for forgiveness that only he can offer. So, so don't misunderstand. We need to invite people to come. We need to invite people to come and gather with us on Sunday morning. Invite them to come to in community groups. Encourage friends and families who have not yet come to faith to our gathering. Live our lives humbly, recognizing that we're all sinners. None of us should take the position that a certain particular sin is outside the love and grace of God. None. God loves all people and is willing to forgive and restore and renew all people. But let's not automatically think it's our fault either that people refuse to come, right? R.C. Sproul wrote this, Nothing makes a sinner more uncomfortable than the presence of a holy God. 
Nothing makes more, a sinner more uncomfortable in the presence of a holy God. But listen, family, and he's right. The gospel tells us that, 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 that the recognition of guilt Unfitness should not drive us from God, but drive us to God, who is filled with love and mercy and grace. And his grace should draw us to him. And that's what happened with Peter. Peter's initial was, depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. Jesus didn't abandon him. Peter found love, grace, forgiveness. You'll see that when he's on the shore at the end of the, after Jesus died and rose again, right? Jesus went fishing, <laughs> And Jesus caught Simon Peter, right? He's got his attention now. Verse 9, and he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken, and so also were James and John and sons of Debedee, who were partners with Simon. This undeserving Peter, his companions received this wonderful, glorious benefit of the gracious God, the love of God, the mercy of God in this catch. And they're all, oh, they're, I mean, if you could just place yourself there for a moment. The recognition that God is holy, but God is kind. The recognition that he is sovereign over creation, but he is blessing these fishermen, providing this bountiful catch. And I think it only points to the greater and more precious, bountiful mercy, grace, love and kindness of God. Grace is working here. Grace is at work here. God is gathering a people to make disciples. And number four, commission. Verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. We saw that already in the earlier in the gospel account, right? The angel come. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Verse 11, and when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter, listen, you see me and you hear me preaching the good news of the gospel. You hear me preaching the word of God. You hear me teaching the word of God. Uh, making disciples is what now you'll be doing. You're not going to be interested in fish anymore, but you're going to be more interested in catching men. That's the point of this miracle, Peter. This giant catch of fish was a demonstration not only of Jesus' authority and power, but demonstrated to the disciples and his followers, what was in store for them next? You will be catching men. Verb, a Greek verb, habitual, practice, continual action. The mark of discipleship then is telling others about Jesus. What's interesting too in this, in this text is the verb catching is, is, has a prefix to it and, and that is alive, to catch alive. It carries the idea of rescuing. Um, rescuing from danger, to let live, to, to, to save alive. Like Peter's everyday work was to catch fish alive and then kill them and eat them. That's what we do with fish. And that's what I do with fish. Jesus said, no, Peter. You're going to be a different kind of fisherman, a whole new type of fisherman. One who would be used to rescue people. One who will be used to rescue people from the depth of their sin and bring them safely to the shore of redemption, of salvation. Jesus has caught Peter by a miracle of grace and commissioned Peter to catch people too. And then it says he brought him boats and then what did they do? They followed Jesus. And I, I think I have it up there, Mark 117. This is, the, this is the reason what caused the action to follow. Jesus said to them, Mark chapter one, same incident, Follow me, look what it says, and I will make you fishers of men, anthropos, mankind, men, women, children. Fishers of mankind. Notice the fact that Jesus is the one making us into fishers of men. I will make you. And the simple truth, simple reality, is that life-changing reality of being a Christian is being fishermen of men. That's what it means to follow Christ. I called you to follow me and to become fishers of men. Now, I just want to mention something, a little sidebar, just quickly. I think this is important. I hope, I hope it is for you. When you read the Synoptic Gospels, Synoptic means similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have a lot of similar uh, material. When you read the Synoptic Gospels, like Luke, it appears to be, if you just read these three, that Peter and James, John, all they're doing the fishing, Jesus shows up out of nowhere. They say, they meet him for the first time. They see this miracle. They drop their nets and they leave everything behind. They walk. 
That's what it appears. Well, it's not accurate. Because what you find in the gospel according to John chapter 1 is they had already met Jesus. In John chapter 1, the same disciples, and it was a time between the baptism of Jesus and the beginning of his ministry, these disciples had already come in contact with Jesus and heard the call already, and they already were, were, were uh, they already understood to some degree, I mean, they never really understood to the end, but there was this already meeting, this already uh, uh, affection, this already understanding to some degree that Jesus is the Christ. That's in John chapter 1. And, and I'm, I, I say that to you because some of you, have not some of you come to faith that way right you come in the church you're hearing the word you have a friend sharing the gospel you're reading the bible and time is going on and on and on and and, and then at, at some place the holy spirit calls you you receive what the bible calls new birth you turn from your sin and you place your faith in christ he forgives you of all your sins and you begin to follow him so it's not just oh he said one word and i follow that happens sometimes it happened with me but some of you, it was a process. It was a process. I mean, these guys already witnessed Jesus rebuking a demon, the, the rebuking a fever, heal all who are sick, very possibly. You've seen some of this stuff. Some of you come to, place where, come to the place, you know, after weeks and months, you've come to the place of Christ. Maybe, 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 maybe today's the day. Maybe today. Maybe after weeks or months of, of hearing about Jesus, today you come to the place of trusting Christ. You now hear the call of Christ to leave behind the old life and walk in the newness of life, turning from your sin, following him, living on mission, and walking with Jesus. You, you see his greatness, his holiness, as Peter saw it. You see your sin, your need for grace, and you humbly this morning want to say, you're my redeemer. I place your faith, my faith in you. You died as a ransom, as an atonement for my sin. You paid the debt of all my sin that has been accumulated, and you rose from the dead for my justification. Today's the day. Today hear the call of Jesus to come out. Come out from living and doing your things. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus. Today's the day. And when we do that, we are called here, it says, to follow Jesus, to become fishermen of men, men and women. Now, let's just spend a few minutes, and then we'll close, but what does it mean to be fishermen? I don't want to take this metaphor too far because you could really go crazy with it. I don't want to do that. But what does it mean when Peter heard Jesus say, I want you to be fishermen? Come follow me. I recognize your holiness, uh, my holiness, your sin. Turn and follow me. I want you to fish men. Now, what they weren't thinking, what they weren't thinking was what I was thinking, to be honest. Fishing with a pole. All right, when you think about I'm going fishing, how many, I, don't raise your hand, but how many people are grabbing nets and going? Not many, right? It's, it's not about fishing with a pole, it's fishing with nets. No one's, he's not talking about someone sitting on the dock of the bay, right? Watching time roll away. <laughs> sitting in the morning sun or sitting until the evening comes. All while holding a fishing pole. Talking about nets. So with that, let me, let me just say a couple of things. You could talk, develop them in your community groups. Number one, what that means is, fishing man with nets means you can't sit on the sidelines. You can't sit up in the hills looking at the lake, and expect to catch fish, okay? You have to participate in the act of fishing. So number one, it's intentional. You have to be out on the water. Nobody catches fish accidentally. You have to actually decide to go fishing. Sometimes they would go out in the shallow waters and catch bait fish, but there was a time when each one went out into the deep of the lake and dropped their nets, they looked like fishermen, they acted like fishermen, they smelled like fishermen, they were among the fish. You may have heard me say this before, but Christ followers tend to fall into three categories. I'll hit them quick. Christ followers tend to fall into three categories. One is what we would call separatism. We separate from the world. We have all Christian friends. A Christian auto mechanic, a Christian a barber, a, 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 everybody's a Christian. All I hang out with Christians. I separate myself from anything that is not Christ-like. Meanwhile, we're all walking around with hearts that need forgiveness. But anyway, 
separatism. The other extreme is syncretism, right? Syncretism means I'm going to join the crowd. I'm not going to do anything differently. I'm not going to live first and foremost for the glory and the beauty and, and the treasuring of God. I'm going to live as the world lives. Join in what the culture deems right and important, not the word of God. Separatism, syncretism. Here at King's Chapel, we like to say we don't escape the world, a form of separatism. We don't emulate the world, a form of syncretism. Just go along with everybody. We engage the world, listen, as missionaries for the cause of the gospel. Okay? John 17, Jesus' prayer. I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world. I'm not asking you to, that they escape or separate themselves from the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, set them apart by the truth, for your word is true. So there's that, there's that, there's that, not to emulate, because we're being set apart by the word, the truth. There's not that escapism to take us out of the world. Then Jesus says this. Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Engage the world for the gospel of Christ. Like Jesus, who came loving and caring and engaging with the crowd. Went to parties, he went to festivals. Not the drunk guy with the lampshade on his head, that's not him. But he was there mingling and engaging people and teaching them and showing them the truth of the gospel. Loving, caring people, forgiving people, redeeming people. So we here at King Chapel, we believe that we don't engage, not escape. We, excuse me, we engage, not escape. We engage, not emulate. We engage by demonstrating the gospel, loving people, caring for people, declaring the gospel to people, how they need to turn from their sins and be reconciled to God. And the only way we can engage others is for what? If we're fishing. We're in the water. Intentionally building relationships with people. Is there someone in your life now? Are there people in your life now? Are there co-workers, the school, people at school? Are you engaging people to share with them Christ? To show them the love of Jesus. Fishing where there are fish to be caught. Number one, intentional. Number two, listen, it takes work. It takes repetitive work. They didn't throw their net once for the night and call it a day. They were dragging their nets, pulling it up, dragging their nets, pulling it up, dragging their nets and pulling it up. Now let me be really clear. We're not talking about working for salvation. Working to be loved and accepted and forgiven by God. Right? Nobody could do that. We're talking about working because we are loved. Not for his love. Because we are loved. Because we are accepted. Because we are forgiven in the gospel. Sins forgiven, salvation granted, grace alone through faith alone, then the call to live as an ambassador for Christ. It takes intentionality, it takes hard work, it takes patience, right? You, have to, you can't be a fisherman and I'm going to spend 15 minutes, that's not how it works. It takes patience. All right, intentional, hard work. Number three, we must rely on God. We must always remember that God is the one doing the work. Ultimately. The Holy Spirit work. The work of changing hearts is what I'm talking about. Right? He's rescuing people from the depths of the bondage of their sin. And he's restoring and reconciling men, women, and children to himself. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 reminds us that, that some will water. Some will plant. But it is God who gives the increase. It is God who draws people to himself by the Holy Spirit. He uses us as a vehicle to plant and to water. That should be our focus. We're not responsible for, for, for people coming to faith, repenting and believing. Let's be honest, we couldn't do it even if we wanted to. We don't have that power. What we are responsible for is sharing the message of the gospel. Sharing with them, loving them, showing generosity and, and care and love for them, and then declaring the good news of Jesus. And any good fisherman would tell you that you have no control over, over the number of fish you catch that day. And that's true with the gospel. As we go out, and we're fishermen and men, we're sharing the gospel God alone controls those who will respond. And I will say this, family, if you're going to go, and, and I hope we all do, as disciples and followers of Christ, if we're going to go share the gospel, I, I want to tell you something. Remember this. If you get an opportunity to share the gospel, the perfect life of Christ, the death for our sins, rising from the dead, and you call people to repentance and faith, no matter what their response is, I want you to walk away from that incident full of joy. 
rejoicing that God gave you an opportunity to share the message of the gospel. You have no control over the response. Don't walk away defeated because you didn't get that person that first time to turn to Christ. Rejoice. But your responsibility part of it has been done. God will do the rest. Charles Spurgeon, you are not fit for it, but he will make you fit. Talk about fishing. You cannot do it of yourselves, but he will make you do it. You do not know how to spread nets and draw shoals of fish to the shore, but he will teach you. Only follow him and you will be fishers of men. So intentionality, hard work, relying on God, and lastly, listen, the catch, which goes with this one, this, uh, piggybacks the last one, is all up to the sovereignty of God. If there's anything that this miracle is teaching those disciples, listen, even though they, they were probably better fishermen than Jesus, is that they were completely dependent upon God's sovereign authority and power to catch fish. Okay? God's sovereignty, his authority and power to reign and rule over all things does not take away the, the responsibility to be active, to be intentional, to, to work hard in sharing the gospel. Instead, it should be the cause. It should cause us to rest in the power and authority and ability of God to save people. God's sovereignty teaches us to fully trust in his power to rescue sinners. We can't and we, we, we won't produce results, but God can. God can. God knows where the fish is. He knows those he's forgiven, and he knows those who are his, and we are called to share the faith. That's what we're called to do. In Acts chapter 18, Paul is in Corinth, an interesting passage. He's under severe persecution. You know Paul, the guy that gets beat up, busted in the head with rocks, dragged out of the city, wakes up, shakes himself off, and says, ah, I'm not done, I'm going back. That guy. Acts chapter 18, verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, this time anyway. For I have many in this city who are my people. He stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Family, listen. Because God can and does forgive people, because God can and does have the power to renew a dead heart, it is precisely the reason to keep on sharing your faith. The fact that God has set people apart to believe removes pride, removes fear, and should encourage faithful evangelism. It's not an excuse to neglect it. God is sovereign. God can do it. God is the only one who can do it. Some people object to the, uh, the, the sovereignty of God when it comes to evangelism because they think that, you know, if God is sovereign, why? you may have heard this before. If God is sovereign, God chose, and God's election, all that stuff is true, why bother? And I'll tell you this, if that's your theology, and that theology leads you to sin, it's not good theology. Because the Bible says clearly the command, I will make you fishers of men, go into all the world. That's what he's doing, brothers and sisters. There's a call on us as a church. There's a call on you, a call on me as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, to spread the gospel, to look to love people, demonstrate it, and then share it from his word, all that Christ has done. That is what it looks like to follow Christ. If, listen, if you're following Christ, you will be fishing. So here's the question. If you're not fishing, could it be, I'm not going to play the Holy Spirit, could it be you're really not following Jesus? Or at least not following him close enough, you're keeping your distance. If you're not fishing, could it be because you're not really following Jesus or not abiding and not walking him? If we say we are Christian Christ followers, we're doing what he is doing, redeeming, forgiving, and saving people through the gospel. Jesus renewing and regenerating people. Jesus calling people out of darkness into the light. So maybe, maybe today, maybe it's time for you and me and us to say, no, I am a follower of Christ and I, I need to be about making disciples. Jesus said, I will build my church, you go make disciples. Sharing the good news of the gospel, the, the, the perfect life of Jesus, the atoning death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the new life Jesus offers. 
Maybe it's time today. I, I, I got to take this seriously. Maybe it starts by getting a book on evangelism. I've got a couple I just brought up here. Um, I could just email me one of the pastors. There's a great book on evangelism by Nine Marks Ministry, Max Stiles. There's another good one by uh, Mark Dever. Uh, Mark Dever. There's some really good books. I'm, you know what? I'm going to read a book on evangelism this year. In the next, in the next two months. Well, maybe, you know, maybe there's someone that you intentionally need to build relationship. Someone from work, someone from home, someone from your neighborhood. You need to start praying for them and looking for ways to engage the gospel. Maybe it's time today, by God's grace, to join Jesus on the lake. Listen, if you're following Christ, there's only one sign that should be over your head. And it's saying, going fishing. Right? Will you join him? I'll invite the van, band up. We could pray. Father, I, I, we, we, we want to drink deeply of the gospel. You, O oh God, have sent your son to bear all our sin, to grant eternal life, to take our shame, our brokenness, our rebellion upon himself on the cross, bearing our shame, bearing our sin, our sins imputed to him. And then, Lord Jesus, when you rose from the dead, you imputed your righteousness to us and we are justified. So God, we don't want to leave this place trying to earn your love, trying to earn forgiveness, trying to earn grace, trying to earn mercy, because the cross the work of Jesus has given us all of that. So God, we pray that we would take this call to follow and to, to be fishers of men seriously, but out of the fullness of the mercy and grace you have shown us. Lord, that you would stir our hearts to see your love. And God, you would stir the hearts to propel us to love others because we want them to, to experience the beauty and glory of Jesus. And God, maybe there's someone here that needs to repent and believe. And like Peter, they see their sinfulness. And rather than saying, depart, they fall on their face and say, forgive me. So together as your people, God, empower us by the gospel, strengthen us by the gospel, Motivate us by the gospel, your love, your mercy, your grace at the cross to live on mission, to make disciples of all nations. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.